I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. Welcome to the podcast. This is Theology Unplugged. Michael Patton coming to you from the Credo House with uh, Tim, Sam, and JJ. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank here, you. Good to be here. Here to solve the problems of the world. All right. Tim, how are you doing? Doing good. What, what's doing. up? Uh, well, we are, this is going up uh, three days before the end of 2012. And so I did want to mention. Hey, we're still here. W- yes, we are. Yes. I and just realized Unless that. if we aren't here, then the Mayans were right and Jesus was wrong. They knew the time of his coming. He didn't. But at the same time, uh, we are in the middle of our end of the year fundraising campaign. Uh, we are seeking to raise $75,000. Uh, we've been sending out updates like crazy, uh, uh, partnerships that we have with the U.S. military, with Compassion International, just crazy things that are happening in the Creos that Michael and I could have never dreamed of seeing come a reality. And so, uh, if you want to join the movement of what we're being a part of, we'd love to have you partner with us and um, think of us this time of the year, if you would. And if you want to know informa- more information, uh, just please email us, call us, uh, Twitter us, Facebook us, however way you want to connect with us, please do. And we're eager to share with you how you can partner with us. All right. Well, today we're continuing our discussion on uh, Roman Catholicism. That is the general topic, but uh, the specific topic topic here today that we are continuing is the issue of justification. Last time we talked about this, I think we talked about it a whole lot from a general overview of what Protestants believe about justification and a little bit about what Catholics believe about justification. Today, let's talk more specifically the Catholic view of justification. Let's talk more specifically some of their uh, documents, their dogmas on justification. What does the Catholic Church say that they teach about justification? And then get into some of the scriptures that uh, uh, may support or uh, defend either side. Uh, Justification from a Roman Catholic standpoint, once again, we're all trying to get to the point where we're righteous before God before we can, so that we can enter heaven clean, uh, but we have very distinct different paths through Christ. I mean, let's not push this too far because all of us believe, again, reminder, in Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, and that is the basis. But how does that uh, apply to us? Uh, Protestants, we talked about last time, Sam, you gave us three words. And then um, uh, then we talked about uh, Roman Catholics, but give us those three words real quick again. Yeah, we were saying that the Protestant view of justification affirms that the righteousness by which we are saved and acceptable to God is alien to us. In other words, it is external to us. It is the righteousness of Christ, not our own. That it is imputed to us or reckoned to us. Um, it is not infused in, within us or imparted into the very fiber of our being. It is, it is imputed in a, in a legal sense, which leads to the third term, which is forensic. Um, the word forensic just simply means legal. It's not, right, justification is not an experiential thing. In other words, you don't uh, get goosebumps when justification happens. You don't feel it in, the, in your emotions or your affections. It's a declaration by God that the righteousness of his son has been reckoned unto you that we receive simply by faith and faith alone in him. JJ, um, you've been uh, looking up some scripture references here. Uh, Tim, you've probably had some swimming around your mind as well. Um, 
Uh, I want to get to those in just a moment. But let's talk about what Rome says about justification. What does Rome say about their own view? Well, the answer to that, we have to, we have to do a little church history, which I'm sure you guys would enjoy. Let's do. Let's yeah. jump in. Come on. Um, it's important uh, to, to understand, and I think it would be helpful for our listeners to uh, get a little bit of a grasp on this, that um, in the 16th century, in the 1540s, in response to the Protestant Reformation, Rome gathered at what is called the Council of Trent. And it met uh, on, you know, on several different occasions throughout the 1540s. And they formulated extensive theological affirmations and denials, generally in response to the Protestant Reformation. And at the very heart of Trent was uh, the issue of justification. Now, of course, uh, we have to remember, as far as Roman Catholics are concerned, the findings of Trent are regarded as revelatory and binding. They are dogma uh, and that's an important concept to remember when we think of this. So let me just give you an example. In other words, it, 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 is, it is infallible and it cannot change. That's true. Here are just some statements um, from Trent. These are brief. Uh, in Canon 9, quote, If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification— and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. So there's a very clear repudiation of sola fide. Here's another one. Um, sola fide being... By faith alone. Justification by faith alone. All right, listen to this one. This is Canon 12. If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy which remits or forgives sin for Christ's sake, or that it is this confidence alone that justifies us, let him be anathema. Now, that's an interesting statement because if you had asked me, Sam, what is uh, justifying faith? I would say justifying faith is confidence in divine mercy. Mm -hmm. That is precisely what I think the Bible says it is. It is my putting my confidence in the mercy of God toward me and Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, J.P. Moreland has recently, uh, I was talking to him the other day, and he said that I think Wait we should... Wait a name drop, brother. <laughs> I was talking to Jay. I just call him Jay. Uh, I was talking to him the other day, and he said that I wish people would quit using the words faith and trust and just use confidence because both of those are tainted, and they're using the word right there, confidence. Yeah. And so they say, if you affirm that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy... In other words, it's uncluttered by other elements. You don't include in faith uh, good intentions, a promise to do better in the future, uh, your own will somehow um, uh, forming faith so that it, it almost in effect becomes a work. But it's confidence alone in divine mercy. They place you under anathema. And then one final one. This is in Canon 32. If anyone says that the good works of a justified man are gifts of God to such an extent that they are not also the good merits of the justified man himself, in other words, if you say that, or that by the good works he performs through the grace of God and the merits of Christ, the justified man does not truly merit an increase of grace, life everlasting, and provided that he dies in the state of grace, the attainment of that life everlasting, and even an increase of glory, let him be anathema. Hmm. So it, 
we need to remember on the one hand, I want let's be, I want to be very fair to the Roman Catholics in the 16th century. They were writing in response to what they perceived to be an, an extreme in the Protestant Reformation among some who so emphasized justification by faith alone that human works were in effect said to be utterly unimportant, unnecessary, no part of the Christian life. In other words, raise your hand, sign a decision card, be justified, and then go live however you please. Oh, Southern Baptists? Are you saying they're Southern Baptists? No. (laughs) You know, licentiousness of life. And they're saying, they're they're, they're reacting against that. And I want to, we need to acknowledge that because there was a, a, a particular cultural theological context in the 16th century out of which Trent emerged. However, granting them that, these are still um, extremely disturbing statements by the Council of Trent uh, in saying that if we affirm that justifying faith is confidence in divine mercy alone, we come under anathema, or that our good works do not in some sense merit the continuing grace of God, we are anathema. So this was what the Roman Catholic Church affirmed in the 16th century. Well, maybe to give an illustration so that people don't caricature the Roman Catholic faith, it's not, we believe in justification by faith, and they believe in justification by works, period, let's all go home. You know, they would say faith is necessary, but it's not sufficient, right? So you need oxygen to start a fire, but oxygen by itself doesn't start a fire. So they're going to say, yeah, faith's got to be there. But it's not enough, right? The instrument is going to be you got to get baptized, and and Protestants are saying no. The instrument is you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Period. No, no, no. Both of both would say at least as far as I understand, uh, as close to the, the you know some of the declarations or writing up statements, although not dogma. In 1994, with evangelicals and Catholics together, they both said, "All right, we both believe in justification by grace alone." that it's God's grace alone that saves us. It's just, how do you access that grace? And one side says, through faith alone. It's the grace of God through faith alone. And the other side, Roman Catholics say, no, it is through this process in which you access the graces of God through your works, through the mass, through penance, through purgatory, through dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and let's, um, let me add to this, and then we can really kind of, kind of pull this apart. Let's come up into the present day, and let's see what the Roman Catholic Catechism, which is official Roman Catholic dogma. I think it was Catholic. I'm trying to remember. Catechism came out in the early 90s, I believe. 95. Okay, early, mid-90s. Um, here's what Catholicism says about the nature of justification. Now, this isn't so much the instrument by which we are justified. This isn't an issue of faith versus works, but this is the nature of justification. Quote, justification is conferred in baptism— the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. Its purpose is the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. And then again, just a few paragraphs later, quote, justification entails the sanctification of his whole being, his being referred to as man. So for the Roman Catholic, justification is what we Protestants refer to as sanctification. They do not differentiate between the two. They might use two, both words, but they mean the same thing. We believe that justification issues in sanctification. The Catholic believes justification is sanctification. 
sanctification in the Christian life is becoming more Christ-like or becoming, uh, in some sense, it's a process. We do believe sanctification is a process as Protestants. We do not believe in instantaneous sanctification. We believe in forensic declared justification, which begins to make us Christ-like. But what you're saying is the Catholics marry sanctification and justification. They're the same, basically the same thing. Right. Justification is, in the Catholic way of thinking, the gradual, lifelong, inner, experiential transformation of the human heart, mind, soul, and will so that the person actually becomes righteous in themselves. We say justification is that singular declaration by God that whatever righteousness he requires of us, he has provided in his Son that is reckoned to our account. Yeah, I mean, I I almost think of it that Tim, sanctification. I am here. Well, yes, I'm here. I've been you're just enjoy, soaking been, it in, right? I am soaking it. I in. I saw you fall asleep just a minute ago. No, I'm in the jacuzzi of this conversation and enjoying it. But uh, you know, I I look at it in a way that uh, from a Roman Catholic perspective, it's as if sanctification is the I've been forgiven, but now it's the slow purging of my sins through uh, the church and the sacraments, uh, dispensing that grace that helps purge my sins with the hope that I'll die and not have to spend very much time in additional purging of purgatory. But then as a Protestant, I'm seeing sanctification as I am someone who the Spirit is changing me from the inside out to look more like Jesus, but I no longer have fear that uh, my sins are gone. I mean, the, the, the weight of my sins, the, the penalty of my sins have been removed from me, so, so I don't need to—my sanctification is not something that I am doing as a prisoner. It's something that I'm doing as a free man. Yeah, and we're going to devote an entire session, at least maybe two, to purgatory. But this is a good place where people can understand what it is. Basically, purgatory is the completion of justification. Mm -hmm. Justification, according to the Catholic, not according to us, according to the Catholic, justification, as I said, is that gradual, progressive, day-to-day inner transformation of the soul to be more and more like Jesus. And when you die, it hadn't been completed because you weren't fully and absolutely conformed to the image of Christ. And so when you die, you enter into purgatory so that process can be brought to consummation. And I think for Protestants, it starts making sense, even the last rites, you know, on the battlefield of World War II, you're having these Roman Catholic chaplains run around uh, trying to deliver last rites to people, too, as, as an additional uh, purging uh, right before someone dies. Make sure you don't have any uh, mortal sins on your soul as well, because yeah. if you die in that state, you don't go to purgatory, you go straight to, to yeah, hell. Yeah, which if, if I'm laying on a battlefield, you know, breathing my last breaths as a Protestant, I'm, I'm not worried about any sins that I might have committed. If I would have punched you in the face earlier that day, Michael, I, I'm not really worried about that. Uh, I'm yeah, not being you worried. you would have been punched back. Very, that's yeah. why you'd be dead on the battlefield. <laughs> I'm now, not, now we see why. Yeah, and my <laughs> sanctification is not progressing well. But, uh, but you know, as a Protestant, though, in all seriousness, I am laying there uh, fully confident uh, in my uh, freedom that, I, that Jesus has bought on my behalf, and I'm not looking for a chaplain to perform any Anything to remove any additional sin. Let me let me move us from one jacuzzi to another. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, now from from the Roman Catholic standpoint, okay. Here's here's my sympathies. Okay, guys. Okay, hear hear me out here. Okay, I I don't get a lot of things like uh, 
when we're talking about Mormonism, you know, I don't, I don't get a lot of that. I don't, I understand it, but it's not as if I have a lot of sympathies towards it because, you know, I look at the Bible and I just don't see anything there. Uh, whenever I talk about Islam, anything else, but whenever I come to Roman Catholics, I say, you know, I understand. I mean, I understand this issue of justification by faith plus works because there's a few things whenever you're looking at it in the scripture, it just seems to be that. Um, I, I don't come down quite so hard, even though theologically I do, I have understanding because what does the guy say whenever he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, that from an outsider coming in and they, they're looking at the Bible, they just think, wow, this is what Jesus said, the final authority. And what does he say? says, well, have you kept the commandments? You know, the, the last five commandments is what he refers to there. Um, uh, have you done these things? And he says, well, all those things I have done. He said, okay, then go sell everything you own. You know, here's the, here's the commencement of poverty um, uh, and, and follow me. So it seems to be if you're taking these little small statements, I understand where they're coming from. Whenever um, we're talking about it from the standpoint of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, um, and he, he says, come inherit my kingdom, all those of you who have uh, fed me and, and clothed me and done the things that you are supposed to do. Now come inherit the kingdom. Who doesn't inherit the kingdom? All those who haven't clothed him, haven't fed him, haven't been out there doing works. So from the standpoint, my standpoint, I look at this and I say, I sympathize with them. I understand where they're coming from and how it is that they can come to the position that they come to because there seems to be some scriptures that come straight out and say exactly what they think they're teaching, right? Well, and some of this comes from uh, not pressing deep enough into understanding how scripture what scripture teaches about grace and I its know, power. I know, but do you understand it? Do you, do you, can't we, can I empathize with them or am I okay for a minute? No, I agree. I mean, Catholic apologists are always reminding us of how embarrassed Luther was by James, you know, that, that here he is, he's the, he's the match that ignites the reformation and he's trying to ban James from the camp. Well, the only one that says just, I mean, as they say, the only place where it says specifically justification by faith alone, James two twenty four, I think it is. We, so you see then, brethren, we are not justified by faith alone. I mean, I understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I understand? Am I okay? Yeah, I like the can other I still hot sit better, though. But yeah, as, it's long, good. as long as you're open to correction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am, but... Yeah. yeah. I, what, no, it's... what you have articulated, I mean, these are all verses in the Bible that we embrace as inspired and inerrant and authoritative for us, so we have to reckon with them. And this raises, you've made a perfect segue into this discussion of what now do we as Protestants believe about the role of good works, because we have to deal with these kinds of passages. And what it brings to the forefront is the relationship between justification and sanctification. Before we get there real quick, and I know we've got to get there, I put forward just some of these passages that say, it looks like works are the deal. But also, it's very clear in the scripture that there are passages that say works are not the deal. I mean, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, it is a gift of God, not of works. I mean, very clear, as clear mm-hmm. as can be. Um, Romans eleven six, I think it is, where it says, if it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Because if it is of grace, uh, of works, then grace is no longer grace. Works cancels out grace. We could go on and on. Romans chapter 3. Last week, you brought up Genesis 15, Genesis, Romans chapter 4. But we've got all these passages here now that one side, and, and I think we'd all agree, say, 
there are not works. And another side says, there are works. Now, pull that together, Sam. I will pull it together in Latin. <laughs> nice. I just want people to know this is not tongues. All right. But maybe it is, and I'm going to give an interpretation. Okay. There is a phrase that... Can you would, interpret your own tongues? That, yeah. There <laughs> That was a former series. We're not, <laughs> well, podcasts of old. Um, there was a phrase used by the Protestant reformers that I think encapsulates this better than anything else. And if you listen carefully, even if you don't know Latin, you'll get it. Sola fides justificat. Faith alone justifies. Sed non fides quia sola, but not the faith which is alone. Faith alone justifies but not the faith which is alone. In other words, we are affirming here that we receive the righteousness that justifies by faith alone, but that faith is of a certain quality. It is a certain character or kind that will invariably produce the good works that are pleasing to our Heavenly Father. So uh, when Jesus would refer to the necessity, for example, uh, Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will uh, enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. Um, James talking about uh, the necessity of good works. These are the works that are the inevitable fruit of that seed of faith by which we are justified. So are we accepted in God's sight and declared righteous by faith alone? Yes, we are. But that faith is a living vibrant, working, fruit-producing faith, so that I can tell, basically I think what these texts that you cited, Mike are say, Michael, are saying, I can tell from either the presence or the absence of those works in your life whether justifying faith was ever truly present within your heart. These works are the evidence, they are the fruit, they are the necessary consequence of true biblical justifying faith. So sola fides justificat, sed non fides quia sola. Faith alone justifies, but not the faith which is alone. It is a faith which produces the fruit of good works. So I don't have a problem with these passages that you mentioned. Um, I can, uh, for example, um, where is it where Jesus said that uh, we will be justified by our words? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds odd. I thought we were justified by faith. Well, we are, but our words, how we use our tongues, how, what we say, how we communicate will invariably be an expression of the reality of the faith by which God has declared us righteous. And when our, in, in effect, Jesus is saying, all I really need to know to determine whether or not you were justified by faith alone is I got to just listen to a tape recording of your speech. Because if you're speech hasn't been transformed, if there isn't the quote-unquote good work of sanctifying language in your life over the course of your earthly sojourn, that in itself betrays the fact that you never really believed in Christ alone for your salvation. So there is a quality to the faith that justifies that issues in transformation of life, in transformation of speech, in sanctification of interpersonal relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and to be clear, Jesus isn't using the word justify in the same sense as Paul is in Romans 3. His point is you will be vindicated by your works. In other words, the true test, the revelation of whether or not you have the faith you claim to have will be by your words. And that's James's point. 
this hypothetical person who says, I have faith, you have works, we start misreading James and we assume that there is a faith that could be apart from works. And James is saying, no, you think that, but it's not actually faith because real faith works. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys this as we're getting close to... All I want to know is, did you guys memorize the Latin phrase? I, I've tried to. I mean, well, I got the first part it. of it, and then it just like... I'm going to try it with the British accent, too. <laughs> well, and Michael, if I could add one more thing. I, I love Dallas Willard's phrase. I believe it's so clarifying, and he's really just rephrasing Galatians 3.10. You know, uh, anyone. But who were puts you talking himself... to Dallas Willard the other day? <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. I can't name drop him. But uh, anyone who, uh, who puts himself under the works of the law is under a curse. And Willard just says, "Look, grace isn't opposed to effort; it's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort; it's opposed to earning. That's that's the distinction that we're making here." Say that in Latin, and I'll believe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's. What what is the message that you guys would have? Uh, or maybe, Sam, since you spent so long on that, I just want to talk to you about this for a moment. What is the message that you would have to a Roman Catholic who is living out their faith? What are they missing? What is it What is it that's the distinction that you have that's better news than what they have? What I think they are missing is the present assurance of eternal life. The joy and the satisfaction and the peace that comes from knowing that my relationship with God now and forever is not suspended upon um, my efforts, uh, the consistency of my good works, my uh, getting more uh, entries on the credit side of the ledger than the debit, that when I find myself um, suffocating in my own sin, and I'm struggling, and I'm failing, or when life is hard and uh, doubts begin to arise, I can look away from myself to another. I look unto Christ. I look unto his life. He lived the one that I should have but haven't. I look to his death. He died the death that I should have but don't. And I can count with great confidence that God has taken the righteousness of his son and reckoned it unto me so that I can have the joy and the peace and the complete assurance of salvation now and forever. And that isn't said in the slightest way to suggest that it is an important and essential that I live a life of righteousness, that I pursue diligently and strive in the power of the Spirit uh, for holiness and obedience and inner transformation. I absolutely must do so. But I think what I think what our Roman Catholic friends lose out on is what we said just at the beginning of the program when Tim was referring to purgatory. It is this idea that somehow I have I, I'm living in constant um, um, suspension of confidence and hope and peace and trust because I don't have I done enough. Have I obtained enough of the grace that provided to me through the sacraments? Uh, will, in fact, um, uh, the, the, the credit side of the ledger balance out the debit side? And I think uh, the Protestant evangelical, I think the Pauline, the Johannine, the Petrine, the biblical perspective is we can have the present assurance of eternal life because it ultimately rests upon the righteousness of another, not me, but of another who is Jesus. Jesus tells a story about the uh, publican and the Pharisee who stand before temple. One of them says, thank you, God, that I'm not like that other guy. 
And then the other guy says, beats on his chest, says, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Jesus says, which one left there justified? Use the word justified. Mm. And and it left there justified, not being justified, not at the start of justification, but which one left there justified? And the only one was the guy who beat his chest and said, have mercy upon me. His right side of the ledger sins were wiped clean, and then Jesus's were placed In upon other words, him. the the publican, in essence, put his confidence solely in divine mercy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he may not have left there knowing. I often think... Did he know that he was justified whenever he left? I don't know, but you know what? Part of the gospel message is you can know it. That guy, I would have stopped him and said, hey, did you know just now? You got justified. It's done. And and leave there rejoicing. It's so, it's so important to read the New Testament and listen to the intent of the authors. What is their goal in writing to us and telling us about what happened to Calvary? Their goal is that we would have present assurance, and that as that assurance is deepened, it would actually change what we think, say, and do, that it would have implications in our life, that the implications would flow out of the safety we feel. First John, at the end of his epistle, I write these things to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know. I want you to have deeper confidence today than you did yesterday. An anathema was placed upon those who say they can know in the Roman Catholic right. system. That's yeah, right. it's the difference between having the present assurance of present life and the present assurance of eternal life. Okay, I promised we were going to ask this question. I know we're out of time, but is this issue the hinge upon which Christianity stands or falls? Is this issue the central issue for Christianity? What do you guys say? Both reformers, John Calvin, Martin Luther, two quotes. Well, I, I'm a little uncomfortable saying that because uh, I know that we have Roman Catholic brothers and sisters who are saved. You know, so in, in the essence of uh, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, if someone is calling rightly upon the name of Jesus, I believe that they're saved, even if they have a view of their justification that might be different from ours. So I'm a little uncomfortable fully saying that that's the hinge of Christianity, but I would say I believe biblically and as proclaimers of the freedom that is in Christ of the gospel that this is something that we need to make a huge priority. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I would agree with what Tim has just said. I would add a couple of things. First of all, this touches on the essence of the gospel. Um, When we go out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, are we um, making known the good news that um, our acceptance with the Father, with our Creator, is through faith alone in Christ alone? If not, if there's something askew in that, then we've got a different message. So the gospel is wrapped up in this very notion. And then also I think um, there's a sense in which, and we haven't even explored this, maybe as we, I think perhaps even as we look at the sacramental system of Catholicism, we'll come back to this. But if you miss out on the nature of justification, it it in a sense unhinges the rest of Christianity. Mm -hmm. It has so many implications in so many areas of life that everything just, it's almost like justification is at the center and it holds the pieces together uh, in such a way that if you miss it, everything else just kind of spins out of control and it gets skewed and distorted and and perverted in so many ways. I mean, the very notion of purgatory, if you believe that somehow you have to experience a measure of suffering after death in order to consummate your salvation, how does that affect the way we live now? How does it affect so many dimensions of the Christian life in the present. 
So, you know, you talk about, is it the article on the basis of which the church stands or falls? Might be sound a little bit extreme, but when you stop and think about the massive implications, it's like a web. And you, if you cut justification, it just kind of unravels the rest, if that makes sense. I want, the hinge for me is probably the empty tomb and the resurrection. I mean, that's what Paul seems to think. He's like, hey, let's go get drunk and party if Christ is not risen. But of course, what on earth was he doing on the cross and, and when he left the tomb? What was that all about? So we, it, it doesn't take too many steps to get to what we're talking about now. Yeah, And I think as, as it's the holiday season, I think that even as a Protestant that affirms justification by faith, sola fide, I think we need to always remind ourselves that this is our highest priority. You know, our goal in life is not to get our uncle to stop being a drunk or, or to get someone that we know to stop being gay or whatever it is before they become a believer. Our goal is for people to find freedom for their soul through trusting in Christ as their Savior and let Him take it from there. And so often that we think we have to get these people to have works that equate righteousness before they can come to Jesus as their Savior. Yeah. Well, not to undermine anything we've been talking about, but I agree. I, I, I struggle with this a little bit. You know, I think... What is the hinge upon which Christianity stands or falls? What is the article? What is the what is uh, the, the central point? And you know, here's the old classical statement: Jesus is. You know, I mean, it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah. uh, who do you say that I am? To me, is the central issue. And then there's so many implications that are tied very, very closely to that. And I see justification as being one of those things. Well, how do I get to Jesus? You know, and and our our message isn't isn't it here, the subjective and objective sides? Objectively, it's Christ risen subjectively, what am I going to do with that? Well, here's what I say is that Catholics have good news and we got good news. I just think we got better news, you know? I mean, I, I think it's more clear. It's the fullness of the gospel expressed, whereas theirs is the gospel, but it's not the fullness of the gospel. And again, I, this opens, I know we're out of time again. I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> yeah. We've, We've been out of like the sixth iteration of being out of <laughs> but, time. <laughs> but seriously, this raises a whole new issue, and that is the, the historical context in which Luther and Calvin said that. Yeah. They yeah. were reacting to late medieval Catholicism that was so utterly corrupt, even by many Roman Catholic confessions. They say, yeah, the late medieval Catholic Church had really gone astray. And the the essence of institutional Catholicism in the late 15th, early 16th century was significantly different from what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and now some would want to say there's a consistency, but it, it was different. I mean, the 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 abuse of indulgences and the say you know the attempt that you could buy your way out of purgatory and the abuse of the sacramental system might have provoked Luther and Calvin to use language concerning justification by faith alone that today's historical and theological context might call for a slightly different response yeah all right guys well next week uh, we'll probably talk I, I figure we'll talk about purgatory it's a good place to move right into that. And so it's not as if we're leaving the issue of justification behind. We're just going to go to one issue of purgatory. Again, I appreciate you guys coming. Appreciate everybody listening as well. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.